Hi, you're listening to What's the Schemata, a schema therapy podcast for therapists. With ISST accredited schema therapy supervisors and trainers, Chris Hayes and Rob Brockman. For more information on schema therapy, visit our website, schematherapytraining.com. Hi, welcome to What's the Schemata? This is a specialist schema therapy podcast and I'm presenting here with Rob Brockman. And this episode is presented by Schema Therapy Training Online. Schema Therapy Training Online is a specialist training provider of all things schema therapy. And you can reach us at www.schematherapytrainingonline.com. And Rob, we've got a special guest here from the US. Absolutely, we do. We've got uh, Liz Lacey here, um, a private practitioner, a, a licensed clinical social worker, uh, working out of um, the US and New York. So welcome, Liz. Hi, it's great to be here with you guys. It is it, indeed. Um, welcome. And Liz, you know, something something we usually do at the, at the start of these things, I just wanted to hear a little bit from you, maybe about yourself. Um, and I know, I know you as uh, an ISSD colleague. Uh, we've just worked out actually that we've been in the same workshops before, um, even on this topic, and we, you know, hadn't hadn't actually run into each other. Which, which is interesting. So, you know, I want to get uh, use this opportunity to even get to know you a little bit more. We know about your work, of course, um, but if you could, if you could tell our listeners a little bit um, about yourself uh, and even how you got into um, working working with um, sex and addictions and, and that sort of that sort of thing. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've uh, been involved, of course, with ISST for, for a number of years now, working with Wendy and Jeff in the, the New Jersey and uh, New York. I'm part of the, the Sexuality Attachment and Trauma Network in New York, which is um, sort of a, I will say, an, an alternate to 12-step treatment of uh, sexuality uh, and out of control sexual behavior, sex addiction, so on. Um, And I was a senior clinical supervisor in an intensive outpatient sex addiction treatment program for quite a while in New York. Um, And like that, and on a personal note, the the way I really um, got interested in sex addiction was I had a very close friend, a male friend in my 20s who had a sex addiction. And before that, I wasn't even sure it was a real thing. And that's sometimes there's a controversy. Is it a real thing? Um, And I saw somebody in terrible shape um, doing things he never would have thought he would have done. And just it, it took his life away from him. So that's really... But, you know, on a personal note, why I really became interested in it. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Yeah. So, Liz, how would you conceptualize addictive sexual behaviors in a mode, a schema mode perspective? Any, you know, there's obviously a range of different types of sexual addictive kind of behaviors. Right. You want to comment in terms of those and also how we can conceptualize these in, in schema mode? sort of framework? Sure. Um, Right. Because, you know, you see all these different kinds of behaviors, right? You see this uh, 
pornography addictions, you see cyber sex, right? Or uh, people get addicted to these applications like Hinge or Tinder. So they're hooking up anonymously, sex workers, affairs. You see all these different presentations. When you see the presentation, like as you're looking at the presentation, oftentimes the presentation is like an arrow pointing back first at the mode, then at the schema, then at the, the original need. So when I, when I say that, for example, a lot of times you'll find when someone's main uh, behavior is, let's say, it's all pornography masturbation. It's all a self-soothing detachment mode, right? You will, you will go back in the history and see enmeshment, right? And then, so before that, you see that the family system was such that to be close to others meant to feel smothered. So then you, then you can sort of easily trace it forward to see why the mode developed the way it did. It meshed relationship, but no real closeness. Right. Yeah. So the, the so you use this as an example, not not to say that all self-soothing is enmeshment, but no. to, show, to give an example of the tracing back from yes from the from the mode to, exactly. to the underlying schema theme back, right. back back to the need in the background. Right. Exactly. Right. And so so the mo the mo right you can have preoccupied impulsive detachment mode like when people are searching or cruising um, obsessed with finding the right thing and then kind of impulsively acting on it but again to just sort of get away from like these negative affective states like yeah. especially these gnawing feelings of emptiness and loneliness that i want to say is probably the biggest trigger for for most sex addicts Sorry, the sort of lonely core. Sorry, Chris. Yes, very Sorry. lonely core. A, a, yeah. a tremendous uh, depth of emotional deprivation. Yeah. yeah. You see that through all of it. Yeah, that's yeah. a common theme. Very common, yeah. And you've mentioned something here about a preoccupied uh, mode. It sounded very yeah. interesting. I'd not heard that. Um, can you say more about that and how that relates sure. to some of these behaviours? Sure. Um, so, so the pre. Uh, so, I would say probably the 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 two modes that you see the most are these preoccupied impulsive detachment modes, uh, and also this kind of merge of thrill seeking and overcompensating mode, right? Which normally I know you don't normally see together, but they merge with people who have chronic affairs. So, so let me say a little more about that is, so when somebody is having a chronic affair, they are, they're obsessed with the very beginning of a relationship, right? And in an affair, you can keep that dopamine in the brain going for a long time, feeling high, feeling excited, feeling like you can't wait to see the person. And at the same time, stay in somewhat of a rescue mode, right? You can be the, the star boyfriend or girlfriend, 
-hmm. right? If it's female, right? you can you can be the best whatever, right? So you can be in both modes at once, mm -hmm. but but there's still again a, a way of getting away from these negative affective states. Yeah. So you're saying there's this kind of special form of overcompensating. Um, yeah. To do to do with these presentations, where it seems to have a, a dual function. Yeah, exactly. It, it plays it bo plays both the, the role of thrill seeking, but also aggrandizement and being special. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And 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 then and then the preoccupied the, the preoccupied impulsive detachment mode, um, you know, is that's primarily really about just again that's more of a distracted mode where the person it could could spend hours sometimes hours i think my the first person i ever worked with officially uh i met after he he got out of the hospital from spending three days looking through Craigslist, looking through porn sites, looking through, kept himself awake all night with between cocaine and Viagra, right? For mm. three straight days and ended up in the hospital uh, dehydrated because of the preoccupation and impulsive mode. I mean, it can get quite severe. And so what do you see as the function of this mode? Mm. And, and I guess, how is it different from, say, yeah. a self-soother mode, like a traditional self-soother? Or is it, is it its own distinct mode in these presentations? Because I think, Liz, this is what we see as, as the schema model is, is um, you know, is so awesome. Just, you know, it really. is. And as, as it sort of proliferates into different areas of pathology and problems, we start to see these new modes pop up, right? So this right. is what I'm sensing here. Right. Uh, it, it's true. Um, it honestly, it depends on your case conceptualization. I can't right to to say I, I wouldn't want to present like a one size fits all. So for one of my so for one of my patients, um, there there would be a conflict. Let's say there'd be conflict with his partner or with one of the kids in the house, and. Uh, he'd go into the bathroom and then get online somewhere and start to search Craigslist and uh, really want to check out of that situation. And when you trace it back, when you're thinking about your case conceptualization, right, he started these behaviors, the same kind of preoccupation when he was 10, 11, 12 years old, when his parents would fight. He started to, the first thing was he started to build models. Then he went to reading. Then he went to, then he went to his Farrah Fawcett poster. I'm thinking of one person in particular, his Farrah Fawcett poster, which was on the wall. And that, that's the thing he would stare at. And then he'd cut out other pictures and start putting them on the wall. And that's where this sort of self-soothing started to become more sexualized, right? Where, where. Yeah. And was it Linked in with things like masturbation. And yes, like that, and at that point, then it got linked with masturbation. So then you're right, you're talking about even more reinforcing, right? Because you're talking about yeah. the opiate reward for system is, is, is getting infused into, mm. into this. So it's a sort of um, form of almost obsessional self-soothing yes. slash self-stimulation. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what it is. And then you're talking about a mode which is about um sort of thrill seeking but also being on show being special being like so that's the yes. other side so i can't help but draw the parallel to issues to do with narcissism you know we had wendy on um yeah. on the show last month i know do you see that parallel 
Oh, absolutely. Um, in fact, right before I got on with you guys, I, uh, I was running, a, I run a group of male sex addicts um, on Wednesday evenings, and I referred to them as they're my group of sex addicts. They're all narcissistic sex uh, addicts. So there's a very high correlation between narcissism and sex addiction. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Liz. Um, so sure. we worked out, right, that you and I were in a workshop in Vienna. Um, it would have been in 2016. And yep. there was something presented there by our colleagues, um, Offa Mura uh, and Eshkol Raffaelli, on the yes. link between schemas uh, and core emotional needs um, and, and problems in, in the domain of sex. Um, yeah. So we just figured out, I mean, that, that workshop um, affected me back at the time. I thought I was very impressed with it, the ideas underneath it. Um, do you want to say a few things about, about that and, and whether, so I've probably got a second question coming, coming on from that. If we can just talk about that work a little bit and how it's affected your, your practice. Sure. Um, you know, yeah, like you said, we were both in, in the, uh, the same workshop. It has absolutely affected my practice, particularly when they were really talking about um, core sexual needs and sexuality being a core need. And certainly anybody who's a parent or who's been around little kids even see from when they're three, four, five years old, right? They're already flirty. They're trying things out. They want to look cute in their outfits and they, they need that kind of validation and feeling good about their bodies, mm. but with appropriate boundaries, mm. right? At an age appropriate level. Yeah. Um, and, and when they don't get that, right, it causes all sorts of uh, just mixed messages. It's interesting, one of my uh, female sex addicts, in, t in terms of this, her, the message she got from her father, they, her parents had split, and her, her father's girlfriend, his, yeah, her father's girlfriend, um, she remembers as extremely sexualized right? The way she dressed, the way she was, and dad gave her the message that this is how women should be. If you want to keep your man, you should be like this. Mm. And her mother gave her the opposite message, right? Which was to shut it down and to feel ashamed of it. Mm -hmm. So th this- so She had these right, two competing polar... messages coming in. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. how did she make sense of it? Um she when she was around boys she would sexualize herself and then she would start to shut it down the defectiveness and shame would start then when she was around others so she split herself off in a way she she figured it she out by, by developing different modes yeah in yes and in fact i'm glad you i'm glad you said that rob right Be, because right especially with sex addiction or out of control sexual behavior, these modes are incredibly walled off. I, I, I mean, they, people with the addiction will talk about these modes as if they're a separate person. Sometimes they even have their own names for them already. Mm -hmm. so they can be quite dissociated. They can be quite dissociated. Mm -hmm. So in terms of denial and deceptive behavior, yeah. you know, obviously, you know, you've been talking about keeping things private yeah, in, that, yeah. in that way. 
is there any way that therapists can be more adept at accessing this sort of thing? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, the main thing we can do as therapists, especially as schema therapists, I, you know, I think we are really well positioned as schema therapists to treat this because we have this almost radical authenticity to working with people, right? Mm. And because we'll, we're not waiting for them to say it, we can say things we know to be true. If we are familiar with what the process is, what the function of the modes is, and the extent to which people will go to protect the mode from being exposed, we can say them out loud. We can say things like, hey, this is our first meeting. I, I know you're probably only telling me about half, maybe half of what's going on, and that's okay. Right? There's a lot of shame attached, right? There's a with everyone, everyone I've worked with with this. So as you're ready, you can tell me. But here's typically what I see, right? So yeah. as therapists, we can we can really help normalize it. That normalize a yeah. behavior that doesn't sound normal, but mm. but within context, mm. it is. It's also, I mean, I, I do um, a lot of work working with sex um, assaults. Oh, when I started working wow. there, I had to get used to the vernacular yes. and get used to the, the conversations and asking particular questions. Um, exactly. Do you think there's a role in terms of therapists feeling more confident about their own asking of questions in regards to sexuality? And- oh, t- totally. Um, e- even um, when, when people get trained in working in sex addiction, sometimes they have to say the word masturbation like over and over again, because e- even like mm. asking like, how old were you yeah. when you started masturbating? People like as mm. therapists don't feel so comfortable with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So yes, absolutely. Yeah, uh, knowing what BDSM is, knowing different fetishes, knowing what's out there, yeah. those are those are things that will definitely help us connect so, with people. So this sort of leads on, Liz, I guess, a couple of things um, to, you know, I've had supervisors in the past. I've got someone in particular in my head who, who really swore by, you know, the need to ask these questions and the need to dig into the history in many cases a bit more sexual history yeah. and the sexual functioning because the idea of being that that sort of uh, sexuality being so linked oftentimes to problems and uh, problems to do with psychopathology and that we don't often ask these things. I mean, what's your view on that? Is it important to, to get adept at, um, you know, asking these questions and how linked, you know, is psychopathology to sexuality in your experience? Um, I, I think it's, um, it's it's highly linked for some people uh and getting a really thorough sexual history um of the personal experience of the patient you're working with and also what was modeled around them is going to be pretty important you know how were your parents with each other sexually were they right what did they have affection with each other um did they talk about it did you ever walk in on them you know, what do you remember? What was your first sexual thought or feeling? Um, even doing some imagery for assessment around what the feelings were when that first started to happen. Like when you got your first erection, what did you think? Like these are definitely things 
we don't normally ask. And so in a way, as you're digging into that history, you're giving away a position, I think, which is to do with, you know, human sex, sexual behaviour and sex, sex and sexuality as being, as being wrapped up as maybe being a need, you know, even it, a, yes. core, a core emotional need or a core sexual need, however you'd think about it, but, or even a core developmental need. Um, can you talk about that? Bingo. Yes, I, I believe to be a core developmental need. And unfortunately, then it goes awry, right, in, in, in some of these family systems that we work with. Because, you know, sexuality, right, e even when we have orgasms, we release oxytocin, which is a, an attachment right, hormone. So right, we, we want to have a healthy attachment to others. You know, my absolute belief is that that all addictions are really um, at attachment tears, yeah. like very deep attachment tears. And efforts to survive to that. And, yeah, and efforts to survive that and efforts to compensate mm -hmm. for it, find some other way to learn how to emotionally regulate. We have to, to survive. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. So I imagine a lot of your work would be, apart from looking at the behavior, but looking at helping these folks attach in healthy ways? Absolutely, which is why the therapy relationship is so critical. Because the first, probably, when somebody first comes in for treatment who has this, probably the one of the first healthy relationships, boundaried relationships they're going to have is with you. Right, you are going to directly, and this is again why, as schema therapists, we're perfectly positioned to directly meet some of these needs. Yeah. Show that conflict is okay. Right, talking about these things is good. Yeah. That they get validation for all the feelings and acceptance and compassion, all of the stuff that we all need. Yeah, because it, so you're saying the schema is well placed because it's attachment rich and attachment focused. It really is, yes. Yeah. It it very much so is, and then and then doing even don't like some of uh, Ida and Joan's work around group work. Doing schema group work is fantastic for this, for all addictions, but for this. So you can start to sort of work on those affiliate affiliate affiliative type needs within exactly. the group setting. That's right. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. One area that made me think of actually, you know, reaching out and sort of speaking with you yeah. a little more about this is that in terms of um, value judgments, I've had a couple of clients who've had yeah. maybe not so much addictive behaviors and what we've been talking about more um, sort of BDSM type, yeah. um, you know, sort of community, they're into the BDSM community and value judgments on that. Um, I found a couple of times I thought to myself, you know, okay, you know, who am I to judge that they're into this or they're into poly yeah. polyamory or they're into X, Y, Z, right. you know, and how that fits with the schema model, you know, in terms of is it, I mean, are these, are these things, you know, am I overcomplicating things or is, it, is that a part of schema-driven behaviour, do you think, or how does it? Well, well does it you, you mean the, 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 the judgment, well... <clears throat> Uh, I mean, we have definitely have to be super sturdy therapists because the the behaviors around the addiction and, and sometimes the addiction itself 
is it can be tough to hear the things that go on. Um, what I want to say about BDS, since you just bring up BDSM, I actually asked one of my uh, guys who are really into BDSM to give some thoughts about what he would say in a podcast uh, about why, like, where does it meet real needs? You know, where does it function for him? Yeah. Like, what would he say? And I'm, so I'm going to read you directly since he gave me the okay without his name, of course. Right. Um, yeah. So I'm going to give you the, the, the core of it is submitting to somebody else's will relieves the stress of having to make decisions and to take responsibility for those decisions. It provides a respite. And the second one, which is the attachment, it's interesting, the attachment. When the submissive trusts the dom and vice versa, BDSM activity can be understood as an expression of absolute vulnerability. Experiencing that level of vulnerability and being met and accepted with love can feel very validating. Mm. So a sort of um, a merging of attachment and safety. Yes. Which, of course, is the core of attachment. Um, Which is exactly. Now, you wouldn't think that for BDSM, right? It doesn't look like that, but it's absolute trust. And I guess in, in the situation I can think of is that this is the breaking of the trust where she was assaulted in this context. And it was this kind of context of, for me, going, look, is this, this is meeting your needs or is this as a one-off experience yeah. or it's like a high risk scenario for this particular person. And yeah, it's sort of, the, it's not easy sometimes whether how are you getting your needs met, you know, yep. it's right on the edge of the that, process. That's right. And you know, one, one of the, the tricky things about when we do treatment is to, to get to the point where people can, align with you know how does this mode function because it functions right this met needs at some point this probably still needs needs at some point but the person is so it's so underground it's so not acceptable even like to their healthy adult Mm. self they don't they Mm. don't want to look at where that's possible so denial is a big yes denial. There's a right imagery can be super helpful in in getting to like where it meets the need. There are, there are sort of imagery techniques and so on. And so to be sure, you you're seeing I guess let's say the role. I mean I'm not I'm not too on top of this. Um, you know the role of the oh the dom the, yeah, dom. the, yeah, the dominatrix the, right right yes that's, the, that's dom. the lingo. There's a dom and there's and a submissive. So how would you consider I know that I know there's a lot of heterogeneity, but basic schema mode formulation for you. I mean, how do you conceptualize those two roles in terms of so the Dom? It depends. I mean, I'm going to say to the submissive, it tends to be uh, almost like a compliant surrender mode. I would, I would say um, for the Dom, it, it depends. Uh, it's yeah. often yeah. A, a controlling overcompensating mode, right? It okay. could be a self aggrandizing mode. Again, depending on yep. your case conceptualization. So, so the feeling would be of being special when feeling powerful. Correct. And on top. Yeah. Yep. I had a client once that was a, a, a dominatrix and I remember her coming to me and I was all, you know, okay, here we go. All right. Get, <laughs> right. Get the treatment. You know? Right. And <laughs> the irony was that she was the opposite yeah. to what I expected. She was very subjugated and because she was in that role, she could, you know, 
overcompensate in that yeah. in that way and yeah that's right needs of barren control thankfully i wasn't going to let that with you chris no right no. It, it well yeah, and it's it, counterintuitive it, yeah it's it is counterintuitive the the person who i i just read that little quote from uh he's a he's a, a top partner in a large law firm in new york so he is always in charge he is always making decisions so yeah it's the opposite yeah. How interesting. Yeah. How interesting. Someone like that. Sometimes we do see this, uh, often see a sort of a balancing act with the modes where you've got one extreme mode yeah. and then you have this the opposite balance as a way almost of balancing it out. Um, yep. So the example I often see would be someone who's a workaholic and they're sort of at it all the time, work, 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 and then gets to the Friday night or the weekend and then there's this massive thrill-seeking, self-soothing, you know, party mode. And those things seem to be the opposites. Um, and so I guess that's what I'm saying here as well is sometimes some counterbalancing. Uh, agreed. And, and in, in his in his case, um, anytime he stays uh, sort of sexually, what I would consider sexually sober for any length of time, um, his unrelenting standards starts to kick in and then he kind of slides into this overcompensating mode and his inner critic starts like you got to do more you got to do better now you have time now you got to do more work and that usually that that's where he'll slide back into uh sort of a relapse of the old behaviors so yep, yes yep. Just to come back to um, more sort of um, sexual addictive, you know, masturbation yeah. and this sort of stuff. Is there any particular backgrounds that really um, sort of characterize this sort of group? Yeah. Obviously, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. formulation driven, but you know, it's a it's definitely um, a very diverse group. But I would say, if you're looking at like porn, masturbation, those kinds of things. I had my group, I'll give you an example. I had my group do an imagery at Father's Day of their fathers. Every single guy in the group said what they could remember was their absolutely remote dads, right? So a, a lot of shut down parents, a lot of very emotionally depriving parents. They may have they may have on the surface looked like good parents. Right? I have one one guy who said they were fine. They're 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 good. They're, they're, I got everything I needed. They put me through college. But if I had a fight with my friend and I went to talk to them, they just said, "Oh, you don't need that friend anyway." And I'd go in my room and masturbate. Yeah. And do you think there's anything about physical contact with parenting and this sort of stuff, or is it just more emotional attunement? Um, I think both. Yeah. I think I think both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know, mm -hmm. that's where it's it's sort of a diverse group. I, some did get a lot of physical affection, but they they physical affection without like real connection. Mm -hmm. But still, they they felt alone. What about folks? Have you ever had? Um, I'm thinking of an old case many years ago, but I'm just, you know, sort of thinking about de-identifying it in, in a way. But yeah. the core issue was um, an absolute lack of affection, physical affection in the family. Yeah. And um, would find himself going to massage parlours uh, only for the physical aspect, to be manipulated physically, to be touched. Um, yeah. Have you seen that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. 
makes me feel bad for your 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 person yeah yeah and what but the problem with that is at the beginning so maybe we're actually sort of talking how do we know how is it what if it's just meeting the person's needs and it's not addiction right Right. because you're talking about somebody who goes to a massage parlor uh, uh, to have his physical needs met in a way there's nothing wrong with doing that right yeah, but it's of course very sad and it speaks to the needs it's lonely it's sad and with it with a, a sexually addictive person that's going to escalate over time so somebody who sort of develops an addictive cycle that's not going to be enough after a certain point mm. they're going to look for more and they're going to add more yeah and so other behaviors come in. Then they need to get an escort. And then the escort turns into something else, which turns into something else. And that's when it starts to get away from So that's from the them. danger in a way. That's the danger. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever find, have you ever found people who, you know, you, you, you sp- speak about this in a very normalized way, um, which, which, which is interesting. And, we, you know, the model is about, it's about needs at the end of the day. You yeah. ever find people who don't decide to change or they feel that they've just found a sort of compensation that works for them, um, despite your concerns um, about the future? Yeah. Y- yes. Um, but then they're probably not in sort of a, a shamed effectiveness cycle, right? The people who, who end up, wanting the real attachments or the people that end up in a, in a defectiveness, shame, uh, spiral due to the behaviors, but people who feel like they kind of got this. I have, I have one guy who sees, uh, the marriage broke up. He still sees escorts. Um, he doesn't feel bad about it and he's okay with his life being like that, but that's the exception. Mm -hmm. That's the exception. Mm -hmm very you don't really see that very much yeah so shame is really the 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 compounding factor yes and it sounds like that's something that we need to be wary of in terms of therapy relationship as therapists but also just in terms of our formulation and and questions we have to keep this in mind in terms of allowing the client to sort of um be open with these different private behaviors that might be hidden behind these these walls these these modes yeah. And making a space to to for some real conversations and and to really examine things that's that's safe for for people. Yeah, absolutely. And like, and the the more comfortable they get with you as a therapist, the better. Um, you know, and it was tricky when I kind of decided to go into the field and work with more more because I'd already been working in addictions, and then to really work with people with sexual addictions, I wondered, okay, I'm female. How's this going to go? Because most of the people coming in are male, although certainly not exclusively. And and by the way, younger people, it's much more mixed sexually. M- many more male and female now. I think because of the internet. Mm. Yeah. I'm guessing because there's just more access and it's more accepted now. But so this idea of being female, was that going to be okay? Am I a trigger? Right. Am yeah. I, I mean, how does gender come into this? Um, Liz, you know, I mean, I, I imagine both ways working with females, but also yeah, with males. Yeah. And, and I work almost, almost entirely with males. Yeah. So, uh, you know, 
sometimes when they first come in, they are triggered because they sexualize anxiety, right? So it's a tense situation. They're already feeling bad. They come in full of shame. Usually, oftentimes it's because they were caught doing something um, like every addict, very few people see the light, they feel the heat. So something happened and then they end up in treatment. So they feel that, so they, they, they meet with me and sometimes they can't look me in the eye. And this is where again, us being sturdy therapists, I, I go right for it even from day one, which is, hey, are you feeling triggered right now? Right. Um, because I notice you can't make eye contact and I'll get the nod to look down and immediately go into normalize it. Hey, of course you feel triggered. Yeah. When you have anxiety, you sexualize it. That's that's the nature of what's going on. It's it's OK. I want you to let yourself feel the trigger for a minute. It's all right. Right. It's, it's a safe space. And it's amazing how in two or three minutes, it's gone. Very nice, Liz. The tr Very nice. trigger is gone. It's really, it's beautiful to see it. And, and that's it. And, and so then you get the opportunity to be with the person and heal this old stuff. Right. So you're directly. sort of um, directly, yeah, healing the, the sort of tension from the word go yeah. using the therapy relationship. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Right. And, and, that's, and that and it works incredibly well. Yeah. I guess I'm also thinking of, um, you know, clients like this who might flirt with people from the other other sex, other gender. Um, would you consider that as being a different mode as opposed to what you've just met, mentioned, like a more of a overcompensating type mode, or maybe sometimes, 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 or or sometimes, you know, you have somebody you're working with and. Um, you know how treatment goes it's up and down with addiction sometimes i remember sitting there it just made me think of someone i was working with who is addicted to um, a number of different things and so he was just really would go into detachment any kind of detachment was his default mode so i would notice him staring at some body part and that's where healthy limit setting has to come in yeah. Right, because it, it, for him, he was not in a come on, shame. Come on, Liz. So, what are you saying? What's your what's your little <laughs> spiel? What's my spiel? Yeah, you'd be like, well, you'd be my, like, hey, Johnny, come on, man, what's going on? It, it, well, that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly what I do. Like, I, I say, Mark, Mark, are you staring at my ankles? <laughs> I got be like, is, is that what's going on? Uh, and he'd be like, uh. I guess so. <laughs> you know, in his case, he, he would like fast up and be like, okay, what happened right before that? Like, right? Like, it's not okay. No, like, let's not do that. But what happened right before that? We were just talking about your mom. You and know. the next thing I know, you're looking at my ankle. Yeah. Right? So if you always, if you, yeah. if you look. Well, and here's the thing too. On. Let's go there too, Liz, because now that we're gone there, um, you know, you, you, in that case, you're a woman, he's a man, perhaps you're the same age, perhaps there's chemistry, you know, in that sort of way. I mean, sexual transference, I think, is, is a reality oftentimes. Um, and, you know, so, I mean, how do you think and deal with that as a schema therapist? Well, 
can you, can you be just more specific in what you're asking? Cause, well, cause there's, there's a lot to that. Right. I mean, we could probably do a whole podcast on that, but yeah. I, again, I just think these issues are a bit taboo, even as therapists are talking, they are. you know, that talking about the idea of, of there being um, sexual transference, you know, in the therapy or fe- you know, feelings essentially showing up in the therapy. Right. What I'm seeing in, in the example that you give is, is, is an example of that. You know, that, right. that uh, something's happening, you're talking about his mom, and then the next thing, he's, he's um, you know, looking at you, and then all that sort of thing. So, I mean, ha- you know, how do you think about these issues, sec- you know, sexual transference um, as a schema therapist? Okay, so now I get you. So what I will do is it depends on, the, again, goes for me, it always goes back to the case conceptualization, Right usually by the time you're doing things like these kinds of healthy limit settings and so on, you know a lot about your patient. So the person who I, I just read that quote from, the, the BDSM quote, he went through a period of time with me where he, he said, you know, sometimes I think about being because I feel so close to you. I feel safe with you. I feel he had a horrible trauma history. Mm-hmm. I feel safe with you. I feel good with you. Sometimes I wonder if we could be more than friends, yeah. right? And that was coming from like his his little from an attachment space. child, an attachment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it was. Um, so you know, to to work through that is more, you know you know I care very much about you and I feel very, I feel close to you too, right? It's not one-sided. I feel, because, and it, it's genuine. I feel close to you too. But so many people have taken advantage of you in your life, right? And used you in your life. And I don't want to be that person. And if we That's were beautiful. more, yeah, right? then it's not just about you anymore. Yeah. yeah. I'm guessing it would be different if it was the same syntax was said in a, an aggrandizing or some sort of overcompensation mode. Where Bingo. Was to get on top and that's of what the, dynamic. the guy yeah. with the ankles, yeah. he was mm-hmm. a, he was a self aggrandizer. So you're thinking yeah. really, what's this about? Like so when, when analyzing the transference, thinking, what is yes. this really about? Bingo. Coming back to the right. conceptualization, this will help us. Coming back to the, yes. It might be helpful. How would you respond to this, the aggrandizer? It's the same experience. What would you do differently? This, uh, my others. Well, probably, probably what I would do differently because I, because of the, of course, uh, he also be narcissistic um, and it was beginning a treatment. I said, huh, you know, I think that that might be the reason your wife says what she says, right? That you have no interest in what she says to you. You're only interested in having sex with her, right? It, it feels, it felt dismissive to me to some extent. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what it felt like. So, and um, in a way it was interesting because he connected to me. See, when, when you're mm-hmm. doing it from your case conceptualization, it's like he sat up in his seat, like this person sees me. Mm, yeah. This person is, doesn't, uh, is not afraid of me. Mm, on guard. And is, is actually trying, yeah, is actually yeah. trying to help yeah. me. Yeah. With well, this. You're seeing you, calling you out on something. That, yeah. 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 That, that's interfering with mm. your life. Like, mm. This is hurting you. 
Mm. And you talk about this sturdy yeah. self, you know, and that's something Wendy talks a yeah. lot about. How have you built up that sturdiness as a therapist? Yeah. How have You're I? You're going to say over many years, you know, Rob. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, you know, um, it's it's interesting. I have, and I think this is also probably why I like I like the topic. Is I I like challenges. I think of some of this I was wired for. Uh, I, I love challenges. I like difficult cases. Um, give me like a tough, angry teenager. I'm happy. Like I, I love working with like narcissistic patients. I, um, I don't know. I, I just. Uh, you love the tough cases, I think, huh? Um, I do. I do. I do. <laughs> I, I also like. Uh, I know Wendy always talks about being uh, an empathy junkie. I'm 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 kind of like an intimacy junkie. Mm -hmm. Like I I like the closeness and building closeness with with patients, mm -hmm. and and teaching them really what it means to be close. So it fits. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think that feels like a pretty sort of good conclusion, uh, team. Okay. Yeah. Um, Liz, is there anything that you wanted to ask us um, on the back end of of the podcast? I uh, I don't think so. Uh, you know, do you, do you do you two work with people with sexual addictions? It sounds like you might. I think everyone um, somewhat. Does, yeah. well, not like you, somewhat. Liz. Not like you. But um, <laughs> you know, I, I get quite a few folks with more along the lines of NPD from time to time, and there's often yeah. this stuff happening. I often think about it as it happening on the side, but it, you know, in sitting with you today, it feels actually like it can be front and center. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the takeaway for me is to ask the questions and just ask the questions. Yeah, yeah, and be a bit more direct in those in, in that line and not collude right. with the uh, the compartmentalization and the <laughs> exactly uh, denial. Right, putting it in thing. the closet, so mm. to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Good. Well, Liz, it's been absolutely lovely. Absolutely lovely talking, getting to talk to you um, yeah. for nearly an hour now about all, all yeah. things to do with sex and schema yeah. therapy. Um, and I'm sure we'll see, we'll see you around, um, in the future. Thanks. Okay, great. Take Thanks. care. Take care, Liz. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thanks bye. So much. bye. bye. bye.